But right now, we want to focus our hearts and minds on what God has for us this morning uh, as a church, what he's calling us to here in Mark chapter 6, and, and what he's leading us to at the, at the end of the service today. So let me pray for us uh, again. Can't pray too much as we gather in the name of Jesus. Let's pray just a blessing over you and that our hearts will be open to God's word. Father, thank you for your kindness toward us. God, we know it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, how good you've been to us in so many ways. And we, we see that most clearly through the gift of Jesus Christ, that we know what it is for our sins to be taken away, for there to be hope beyond death. And, and not only that future hope, but, but hope that changes the way we live today. And God, thank you for your work among our church family, how good it is to be a part of a church family, to encourage one another, love one another, pray for one another. And God, guide us uh, as we study Mark chapter 6 today. Open our hearts to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a very simple, straightforward, but, but very important question that's going to guide everything that we'll do today. Do you believe God is at work in and through your life? Not like I showed up to church and I know I'm supposed to say yes. <laughs> so I, I know if we took a survey, everybody say, yeah, yeah, I do. But do you believe that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, do you believe that he is at work in your life, transforming your life, changing you from the inside out to make you more like his son Jesus, to conform you to his image so that you would live the life he's called you to, believe, to live? Do you believe that that is true? And, and do you believe that God not only works in your life, but he works through your life to do good work in the world and to share his love and to impact other people? Do you believe that God's at work in and through your life? And I know that sounds a little bit like churchy language, but we believe that God is not absent, that he's doing something, that he's at work, that he's guiding things toward his purposes and toward his plans, and he's calling us to be a part of that. And friends, we don't want to miss that. We desire that God would work in our lives, and that as he works in us, he would work through us. And we don't want anything to stop that which is why I've titled today's message, How to Stop the Work of God in Your Life. Because we don't want to stop the work of God in our lives, but we're gonna see a picture of what that can look like, and then we're gonna turn around at the end and say, I don't want that, I wanna see how you're working, God. I wanna see what you're doing. I believe that God is at work in our church family. I hear stories from you about what that looks like, and so we wanna look at God's word today and say, what does it look like not to hinder, not to stop that work, but to be a part of what God is doing in the world? And if you're here and you say, I don't really know that God is at work in my life. I don't know that that's true. I pray that God would ignite that in you today. That you would know that he desires to work in and through you in a really powerful way. Let's start, Mark chapter six, verse one. It says in verse one there that Jesus went away from there, went away from this lake area, and he went up kind of to the northwest from the lake, and he went up toward his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Now, what's going on with this transition? Well, you see Jesus has been doing all these miracles around the lake there, and now he's going to go back to his hometown. And Mark is connecting us back to something that happened in Mark chapter 3. Because the last time that Jesus interacted with his family, the last time Jesus interacted with his hometown, it did not go well. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. All these people were gathering at the, at the house, and Jesus' family was trying to stop what was happening there. 
And we haven't heard about Jesus' family in a long time. And so what Mark is doing, he's making another one of these sandwiches where he'll mention something, he'll go away from that topic, and then he'll come back to it. And so now, in Mark chapter 6, he's coming back to Jesus' family. And he's going to ask us the question by doing this, are we going to see the power of Jesus at work in his family in his hometown, or are we going to see something different happen here? Because the disciples are still with him. The religious leaders are opposed. The crowds are uncertain. Jesus' family doesn't like what's happening, but the disciples stay with him. Look at verse 2. And so on the Sabbath, in his hometown, he began to teach in the synagogue. So the local boy has come back. He's come back to, to preach for the people that he grew up with in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Now I want you to pick up on something before we keep going through these verses. You're gonna see a couple of times in Mark's gospel that the people are amazed at something, they're astonished about something, they marvel at something. Those words, generally, in Mark's gospel are not connected with having faith. It's possible to be amazed by Jesus but not to follow him with your life. It's possible to marvel at his teaching, to marvel about how important he's been in history, but not to give your life to him. And what you see here is the people are amazed that here this hometown boy has come back and he's done all these things and he's teaching this way, and they marvel and you're like, oh, they're gonna worship him. Spoiler alert, they're not. <laughs> Just because you're amazed by Jesus doesn't mean you're gonna give your life to him. That looks different. Verse, actually, still in the middle of verse 2, what do they do after they're astonished? They say, where did this man, man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? This is one of those scenarios where people are asking these questions about how did he end up doing these things? Uh, you think about high school yearbooks. Jesus not voted most likely to be Messiah. They're like, wait, wait, I remember this guy. Like, I, I remember him. There's no way he can be doing these things. There, there's no way that he can be teaching this way. How, how did he end up doing this? Where did he get this power from? How is he able to do these things? Asking questions is not bad. Asking questions is good when you think about faith. The question is, though, where are those questions taking us? What are we doing with our questions that we have about Jesus? Here, they can't get over the fact that this person standing in front of them is the same person that they grew up with. You may have had experiences like that in your life. You go back to a class reunion and you meet somebody and either for good or bad, you're like, uh, there's no way that's the same person. Like, there's no way. People may think that about you when you go to class reunions too. Like, there's no way that's the, the same person. What's, what's happened? How, how are they able to do this? Verse three. What do they say? They say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They think about his family. They think about his career being a carpenter. And we know that, that this word that's used in the New Testament for carpenter, it doesn't mean just working with wood. It also is the same word for working with stone. So he's just a, he's a, essential worker. He, he's a blue-collar worker. He's doing labor. This is what he's known for, and they say, how could this one, this carpenter, this one that grew up with these people we still know, how could he be doing all these other things? And the end of verse 3, what does it say? They took offense at him. 
That's the word in your New Testament that means to stumble over something. They stumbled, they tripped, they could not get past the fact that Jesus the carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph, is now doing these miracles and teaching in these ways. They just tripped over it. They could not get past it on the journey of faith. There's a good chance that you know people in your life, or this may be true of you in the room this morning, people you know in your life who on the journey of faith, trying to trust in Jesus, trying to follow after him, there's just something they keep tripping over. They keep stumbling over. They can't get past this part of what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow him. And for his family, for his hometown, they just can't get past the fact that it's just a simple carpenter who they grew up with, who they know his family, they can't get past the fact that now he's doing and saying these things, and so they trip over him. They stumble, they can't continue on this journey of faith because of what they've seen. Verse four, and so Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Uh, You may have found in your life that sometimes it's harder to talk about faith with your family and the people you grew up with than it is with a complete stranger. You're like, send me on a mission trip. (laughs) Send me somewhere else, like the people I don't know, and I'll tell them all about the good news of Jesus. But when it comes to talking to family, to people we know, people we've been around, that, that's a hard conversation because they know you and you know them and you've had this conversation before and, and, and Jesus is showing this idea that the people who are familiar with him are struggling the most to have faith in him. Sometimes familiarity is actually a hindrance to faith. We've grown up around these stories. If you've grown up in church and you know all these stories, you're familiar with them, sometimes that, in fact, can stand in the way of truly having faith in Jesus, because you're like, I know all the answers, I know all these stories, and you forget about the power of them, you forget about what's involved in these stories. When we were in New Orleans, we were having vacation Bible school uh, one summer at this church that, that we were a part of in New Orleans, and Amanda was interacting and doing crafts with these, these kids, and they were talking about the resurrection, and there was a little girl there, probably third or fourth grade at this uh, VBS there in New Orleans, and they were talking about the resurrection, and she could not believe that it was true. She was like, are you sure? Like, this, this guy died and then he rose again? Are, are you sure about that? And through that little girl's eyes, I saw something I hadn't seen before. For her, the story of the resurrection was fresh. Like this was, this was new, this was, inc- she was like, if this is true, this is a really big deal. And I wanted to say, yes it is, and then I was worried about my own heart. Am I so familiar with some of these things that I don't see what God is up to, that I don't see how he's working? Jesus' family was familiar with him, but they couldn't have faith in him. They couldn't get over that stumbling block of where he had come from and who they knew him to be. And so in verse five it says this, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Well, that, that seems like important. It is good. It is some type of mighty work. But he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages. Now, this is incredible because for the last few chapters, we've seen the power of God on display. We've seen Jesus' power overcome storms and overcome sickness, and overcome people with demons, and overcome death, overcome all these things, and what can he not overcome? 
his family's lack of faith, his hometown's inability to receive him and to believe in him. And that phrasing there should kind of get your attention. Could do no mighty work there? Is it, is it that God's power was not enough to overcome? No, not at all. God's, God's work was going to continue forward. But because the people refused to respond in faith, all that Jesus wanted to do there was hindered. They were missing out on the power of God among them because they didn't receive him in faith. And something about that story should absolutely terrify us. <laughs> that we would miss out on all that God wants to do in and through our lives because we refuse to believe him, because we refuse to trust him, because we refuse to see how he's working in our lives. Don't let lack of faith stand in the way of all that God wants to do in your life, not only in your life, but through your life. And so what does Jesus do about their lack of faith? He went about among the villages teaching. It's like, I'm not gonna stop here. Just because you refuse to, to receive me, this doesn't stop the mission of God. I'm gonna keep going. Haters gonna hate. Like, I'm just gonna keep with this mission. God's given me this mission. You may not like what's happening. You may not receive me, but this mission is going to continue. And here in just a second, we're gonna come back to the disciples in verse seven. But I want you to skip down just for a minute to verse 14 because there's another type of opposition that, that Jesus faces here, and we see other ways that people are not responding to God's work. If you go down to verse 14, we're gonna pick up a story about King Herod, and this is a flashback story, and it's a story we're gonna talk a lot more about next week, but Herod and the religious leaders and Jesus' family, they've all been very similar in Mark's gospel up to this point. And so in verse 14 it says, and King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name, had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Verse 15, but others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, has been raised. <laughs> so Herod hears about what Jesus is doing and he's afraid that John the Baptist has come back from the dead to haunt him, that all of God's power through John the Baptist is now coming to fulfillment. Now we know that's not what's happened, but that's how Herod is experiencing this. What does he say after that? For it was Herod, in verse 17, who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Good prophetic announcement to be making there, but they don't receive that well. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Now watch this at the end of verse 20. When Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. There's something about King Herod that wants to receive the work of God in his life. He's hearing about the message of God, he's seeing the power of God, and he's right on the edge of receiving that power. But Herodias steps in and causes problems, and we'll find out next week it's because she sent in her daughter to dance at this party that King Herod was throwing, and ultimately, the little girl is forced into asking for John the Baptist's head on a platter. It doesn't end well for John the Baptist at, at that party. But if you skip down to verse 25, look what it, or actually verse 26, look at what it says. 
After John the Baptist is beheaded, look at verse 26. The king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths that he had made and because of his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. Let me put a screen in front of you here just for a minute. From these verses we've looked at, I want you to see four ways that we can stop the work of God in our lives. And, and I know that word stop. I put it up there just to get our attention. We, we know we can't stop God's work, but if, if the word miss the work of God in your life or hinder the work of God in your life, if, if that impacts you in a better way, put that word in there. How do we miss all that God wants to do in our lives? Number one, we fail to believe in God's word and God's power. God's word and God's power have been put in front of us. Will we believe that? Will we trust that? Will we believe that he's at work in our lives? Number two, that we will define people, including ourselves, by their family or their past. If you want to miss the work of God in your life, constantly live your life looking back to who you were in the past to where you came from, to what your family was like, to what your past decisions and mistakes were like, you will never experience the fullness of God's work in your life if you're constantly looking back to the past, thinking about how things were. The very nature of God's work in your life is that he's gonna transform your life in the future. That the family you grew up in, the mistakes you made in the past, who you were before, that does not define your future. And so many people miss out on what God wants to do in and through their life because they're constantly living in the past. Or you look at somebody else's life and you think there's no way they're gonna ever change. We don't know that. We can't make them change, we can't force them to change, but we don't know what God's doing in that person's life. Number three, we miss God's work in our lives when we despise what is small and simple and ordinary. These people, they missed the work of God because they couldn't believe a carpenter could do it. And they couldn't believe their friend and family member that they grew up with would be used by God in that way. When we overlook what is small and ordinary and simple, that's often where God is doing his greatest work. On Wednesday night, uh, Cody had the students out there before we were playing games together and and getting mosquito bites and sugar bites and all that good things. We were out in the backfield there under the, under the tree, and Cody was just talking to them about God's gonna continue to work in your lives after camp, but it's not going to look like camp. Often that work is gonna look different. It's the same God doing the same incredible works in your life that he did when you were at camp in Super Summer, but oftentimes that work is gonna look really simple and really ordinary, and it might feel really small, but it is the power of God continuing to be at work in your life. And number four, if you wanna hinder or miss out on or stop God's work in your life, when we have ungodly relationships and decisions that are keeping us away from doing what God's called us to do, we're gonna miss out what he has for us. King Herod is right on the edge of seeing the work of God in his life, but because of this terrible marriage that he's in, because of these ungodly people that he's surrounded himself with, because of these decisions he's made, he misses what God has for him in that moment. And I don't know about you, but I don't think you would be here on a holiday weekend, and I don't think you'd be watching at home or listening to the podcast if you didn't want God to work in your life. We, we don't wanna miss out, we don't wanna hinder, we don't wanna stop what God is doing. So let's leave those points behind, and let's go back to the disciples and I want us to think about how do we join the work of God? 
How do we make sure we don't miss what God is doing? Mark chapter six, verse seven. Let's go back and pick up these verses in the middle that we left out. Verse seven. Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Number one, how do I join God's work that he's doing in my life and in the world? You believe in God's word and power. Here's Jesus calling these disciples, saying, you've been with me. I know you've been with me all this time. You are going out with my authority, not because of who you are, not because of your skills or your gifts, I'm sending you out with my authority. You spent this time with me, you know my word, believe me, trust me, I want to work in your life. If we will believe God's word and believe in his power at work in your life, he will send us out to do what he's called us to do. Number two, point number two, how we join God's work comes straight from that same verse. How does he send them out? Well, he began to send them out two by two. And if that language sounds familiar from the Bible and you're like, isn't that how God got the animals on the ark? It's the exact same words that are used in both places. When you have the Greek Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, exact same language, this two by two language of how God does his work. How do you join the work that God is doing? We work together and we keep on working. We do it repeatedly. We work together and we keep on doing it. Jesus knows that if he sends these disciples out individually, there's a good chance that they're gonna get distracted, that they're gonna get overwhelmed, they're gonna run into opposition and back away. But if he sends them out two by two, guess what they have? They have accountability, and they have encouragement, and they have someone else to build them up in this work that they've been called to. And so he says, you're gonna be sent out. You're gonna be sent out in groups of two. And friends, one of the easiest ways to miss what God wants to do in your life is to isolate yourself off from others. If you want to experience God's work in your life, and students, I know we've talked a lot about this the last few weeks, but if you wanna be a part of God's work, we do that with others. We partner together. You need accountability, you need encouragement, you need other people coming around you saying, let's do this and let's do this repeatedly and let's keep going. Because here it says that Jesus began to send them out. This wasn't the only time they were gonna be sent out. He was gonna do this over and over and over again. Look at the next verse, verse eight. What does he do? He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, a walking staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Just whatever you're wearing, go with that. Number three, how do you join God's work in the world? You surrender everything to him. You say, God, Everything I have is from you, and everything I have is for you. I surrender all my resources, all of my life. My loyalty is completely to you. I'm not gonna hold on to anything saying it's mine. My loyalty is to you. I'm gonna live with simplicity and surrender. Send me wherever you wanna send me. I'm gonna trust you to guide me, and I'm gonna trust you to provide for me. And you see this worked out in the next two verses. Look at verse 10. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, Stay there, appreciate the hospitality, receive the hospitality, stay there until you depart from there. Verse 11, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Wow, that sounds like harsh language. <laughs> but what he's saying is, 
You're going to encounter people who are not going to receive this message, who aren't going to respond in faith. That doesn't stop what you've been called to do. Just keep going. Just keep trusting me. In life, to experience God's work in our life, we have to travel lightly. Again, I trust you for the resources. I trust you to handle the results. I trust you to guide me in all the ways that you're guiding me. I know that you're in control. I trust you with these things. As followers of Jesus, we can't spend our whole lives looking at past grudges and past regrets. And especially the world we live in, as followers of Jesus, let's be really hard to offend. We carry these offenses so easily. We get offended so easily. And and the disciples here, they're not dusting off their feet because they're offended. They're dusting off their feet because the message hasn't been received and they're gonna stay focused on what God's called them to do. I'm not gonna be offended and distracted from what God's called me to do. I want to stay focused. My life is in his hands. I've surrendered everything to him. Look at the next verse there, verse, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. How do we see God work in our lives? Well, guess what? We proclaim and display Jesus. We say nothing is gonna get in the way of telling other people about the good news of Jesus and calling them to give their lives to him. That that's what we've been called to do. We're gonna stay focused on that. And we're gonna push back darkness There's so much darkness in the world. There's so much spiritual evil that you run into the world, and we're gonna be a part of pushing that out. We don't wanna see that dominate people's lives, and we're gonna care for people. We're gonna provide healing and care and resources for people. We're gonna speak about Jesus and call people to trust in him, and we're gonna show his love and his hope to people, even amid all kinds of this difficulty that we face. Then, look down in verse 30. So you get past this Herod's story, you get past the people being sent out, what happens in verse 30? Well, the apostles who went out, they returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. When they are sent out by Jesus, they don't say, well, we're just gonna go do whatever we want to now. They know they're gonna come check back in. They need his direction. They need his continual guidance, his continual direction. Think about the disciples here as boxers in a heavyweight match, and they went out to the middle and they fought around, and now they've come back to the corner. Might need a few bandages, might need a pep talk, might need some encouragement, now get back out there and do it again. How do we experience God's work in our life? We just continually to seek his, continually seek his direction. God, am I going the right way with my life? Am I living for the right things? Am I doing what you've called me to do? I want to know your way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He will make straight your paths. You think about Acts chapter 13. The apostles, the followers of Jesus, are beginning to go out on these mission trips, and and the people gather together, and they pray, and they fast, and then God sends some of their very best on this new journey. They're seeking God's guidance all the time. Would you guys put all five of those points up there on the screen just for a minute? How do we see God at work? We believe in God's word and power. He is good and faithful and he's at work. We work together repeatedly. We need one another. We're gonna work together, we're gonna draw together and we're gonna keep going. We're gonna surrender everything to him. We're gonna give our lives to proclaim and display Jesus. 
And then we're going to keep seeking God's direction to make sure that that's what we're doing. God, let me, let me know where you're guiding me. Let me know what you're up to. I don't know about you guys, and this would be more difficult for those of you who are, have not been around Emmaus for a while, but when I see a list like that, one name comes, comes to the very top, and that's Jim Lehue. Like, talk about somebody who is seeking to live in that way. God, I believe you. I'm going to work together with others. We're, we're going to keep going. I'm surrendering everything to you. All I want to do is live my life to proclaim and display Jesus, and I want to know that you're guiding me in the right direction. And so I want to invite Jim to come up here, and he's going to share with you a little bit about what that screen looks like in his life. Do you have a, you need a microphone, don't you? Guys, this is the red one. It's very humbling for you to say that. I do want to share. You know, Emmaus has been blessed to engage our community and intentionally partner with so many different people. If we take the last three months as an example, we've been called on by local ministries, hospitals, local businesses, the library, schools, local law enforcement to help meet needs. I'm thankful to come alongside so many in our community to help meet these needs. But this has left me with a desire not only to see more of us working together, but also to go the long road of ministering to people and sharing the hope of the gospel. Only Jesus can make a difference. God is opening doors to make this a possibility in my life. As I submit to him, I will be resigning as associate pastor of missions from Emmaus. We're being called to serve in a partnership with the North American Mission Board and the Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. The North American Mission Board, and more specifically their ministry called Sin Relief, reached out to me about becoming the coordinator for the new Oklahoma City Ministry Center. This center will be a ministry partnering with individual and churches throughout Oklahoma and Cleveland counties. Sin Relief has five focus areas. Strengthening communities, protecting children and families, responding to crisis, human trafficking, and caring for refugees. And all of that, the main goal is to tell people about Jesus, to see them in a discipled relationship with him. He's the only one who can make a difference. Our current church partners with this ministry center will be Southern Hills and Emmaus. We'll be working to add other partners throughout the metro. The Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children also reached out to me in April about working with their staff on all their campuses and the Hope Pregnancy Centers around the state. The Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children has four campuses around the state which care for children and their families. Next door to here to Emmaus, in Edmond, Medill, and Owasso. They have Hope Pregnancy Centers in Southwest Oklahoma City, North Oklahoma City, Edmond, Ardmore, Tulsa, and Alva. I've always felt that Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children is on the front lines of caring for children and their families, and it seemed that this would be a natural partner with Oklahoma City Ministry Center. I asked these two different ministries that approached me if they would consider partnering together, and they both agreed. I will be serving in a dual role working with the North American Mission Board and the Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. My last Sunday 
on staff at Emmaus will be July the 17th. We will be keeping our membership here, but we know that this new position will require us to visit other churches to build relationships and partnerships. We love our Emmaus church family. We are so thankful for how you have invested in us and our family, how you've cared for us, how you've discipled our family during our time here on staff. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. My prayer for all of us is that we would each continue to individually grow in our relationship with Christ while being intentional about living out this great commission. Church family, I'm so thankful for you that you've shown grace and mercy to me and allowed uh, us together to be able to care for our community, but more importantly, to be able to share the hope of Jesus. And I would covet your prayers. My family would covet your prayers. We are so thankful. And we're going to look forward to continuing to worship with each other and encouraging each other, as Hebrews says, until the day of Christ's return. But uh, may we be faithful. And uh, we simply just want to uh, say we wanted to share this with you as a church family. There's no easy way to do that. I would have loved to have had a million conversations uh, with you. Um, but I look forward to uh, continuing uh, our friendships and those conversations in the near future. Jim, stay up here. I'm going to try to pray for you, but it may not, may not be much of a prayer. Um, you might be asking, uh, how, how, do you, how do you replace you know, Jim Leahy on staff? I can tell you we will not be attempting that. That will not be the language we're, we're using. Uh, how many people does it take to replace Jim? About 600 of us <laughs> together, working together, encouraging them, thankful for the Lord's faithfulness and his work in, in Jim's life and the way that he's worked up to this point. Uh, I'm going to be sending out an email to our church family when the service is over. I know with a holiday weekend, there'll be many people here today, or not here today, who want to know about this, but I'm going to be sending out that message. It'll have some more information for you and kind of a timeline of what things are going to look like, what we're going to do on, on the 17th. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to stop proclaiming and displaying Jesus. And we're going to be able to do that together. And we're going to keep on doing that because we know that Jesus is worth it. And we know that he's transforming lives. So if you would, pray with me right now for, for Jim and for our church family. And then we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a course together before we're dismissed. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. God, you're so good so kind and so faithful. God, you're at work in our lives in ways that go beyond anything we would ever know how to express. God, you've been at work in Jim's life and his family for so, so many years. God, even to lead them to this point. And God, we know the same God who is faithful in the past is the same God who will be faithful in the future. And so Father, we continue to look to you. 
God, we pray that you would prepare Jim for these roles at OBHC and, and with Nam. And God, I pray that you would prepare our church for the days ahead. God, that we continue to partner with him, we continue to worship alongside him, we continue to encourage him. And God, we give our lives to you. We want to see you at work. And we say together this morning that we trust you. God, we believe in your word, we believe in your power, and we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.